Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series that we're calling Full Life. This series really started out and starts out from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so we've been asking throughout this series, what are our lives full of? Are they full of what Jesus came to give us or are they full of all sorts of other things? So we're exploring what is the full life that Jesus came to give us, and then maybe what do we sometimes settle for rather than that true full life? This past Tuesday, when it was still raining four days into our rain, my eight-year-old daughter, Liana, had a soccer game in Old Bridge Outdoors. They didn't care. They had turf. 6.30 p.m., here we go. So by the end of the game, you can imagine Liana was soaking wet, she was freezing cold, and she was really hungry. And it was about almost 8 o'clock, and so I let her decide, what would you like to eat? And so what do you think she requested? Yeah, McDonald's, exactly. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's exactly right. And I just want to be clear with you, I am not above McDonald's, okay? Like, there are days where I forget to pack my lunch on purpose so that I can slip out and get a double cheeseburger and a McChicken and some fries. So, like, don't, don't hear what I'm about to say as if I'm above McDonald's. But we all know that McDonald's isn't the best for us, right? I mean, we all know that. And we know that, really, it's not ultimately going to even satisfy us in the end, right? Matter of fact, according to Science Alert, Within the first 10 minutes of eating a Big Mac, you have a massive blood sugar spike and a huge release of dopamine in the brain, the same feel-good chemicals that drugs release, right? True. 30 minutes in, you're starting to experience dehydration because the sodium is actually sucking all of the moisture out of your body. And the ironic part about dehydration is that the symptoms feel a lot like hunger pains. And so you start thinking, maybe I should have another. Forty minutes in, the high fructose corn syrup that is just packed into especially the buns of all places has fully absorbed into your GI tract, causing massive insulin spikes. And so now your blood sugar is so totally out of control and it is all causing you to feel more and more hunger pains. So scientifically, 40 minutes after you've eaten McDonald's, your body is telling you you're hungry again, even though you just ate, and that burger may take up to three days to fully digest. (laughs) This is science. And I know we know this, maybe you didn't know all of the details, and some of you are like, I didn't want to know all of the details, and you're wishing you had been like this the whole time, so I'm sorry about that. But this is just one example of many in our lives where we go after something that ultimately won't satisfy us in the long run, but it may be just for a moment. And this, is, this happens so often in our pursuit of full life. And so we're going to look at this together as Paul gets into this idea from Galatians chapter 5. If you want, you can follow along on the screen. But let's listen for God's word speaking into our lives this morning. 
You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray as we move into this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and place to gather in your presence. Will you add your blessing to the reading of your word that What we hear and receive and respond to is truly your word spoken to each of us in our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if we were just having a conversation and I asked you, what are nine words that you would use to describe full life, this rich and true full life? I think it's possible that you would use the words that Paul has given us here, or at least many of the words from verse 22, where Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, or or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? Even that last one, self-control, like we don't necessarily like it being on this list because a lot of us don't have it. It's why we keep going back to McDonald's. And yet, self-control, we long for it because we long to have control over the things that we do, the things that we desire, the things that we say, the things that come out of us, the things that go into us. And so these nine words are actually a pretty good description of full life and they're pretty hard to attain, aren't they? When you, when you look at your life, is it full of these nine things? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And, and there's a lot of different approaches about how to attain this kind of life. As a matter of fact, this is why Paul has written this letter to the church in Galatia in the first place, because there's this major division in the church about how to approach this kind of full life. I mean, he said that they're biting and devouring each other. I mean, it must be tearing them apart. And at the heart of this division is the place of God's law in the pursuit of full life. See, this is a mixed church. 
There's a lot of people from a Jewish background, a lot of people from a non-Jewish background, and the people from the Jewish background believed that the law was needed as a safeguard, as guardrails, as protections against certain kinds of behavior, and they believed that full life would ultimately come when all of the followers of Jesus in the church believed in Jesus and they were fully obedient to the Jewish law. And so Paul has written this letter to the church in Galatia to address this issue head on to, to tell them what had been decided among all of the churches in the world in this day. That they had decided the law is too great a burden for the Jewish people to bear, so why are they turning around and putting this burden on this non-Jewish people? Asking them to do what the Jewish people were unable to do. Because over and over again, they found that the Jewish people throughout history were unable to keep the fullness of the law. It was impossible. And that, in, furthermore, as the law was established, all that happened was they became more aware of their inability. Because the law itself had set up a guardrail, a protection, and yet sin within us is tempted by every boundary. Like, I don't know if you had this experience growing up. This was my experience. My parents would set the limits on how far away from home I was allowed to go. I was allowed to go down to the Bachman's house this direction, and I was allowed to go to the Brown house that was up the hill and on the corner. I don't know who lived there, but I was allowed to go that far. And so for a long time, I was happy to be within those boundaries. But one day, you get to that point where you come to the line, and you're like, hmm. Nothing happened. Well, nothing happened with one. Maybe I'll take a couple steps over the line. What's going to happen next? And then suddenly, see, the thing that was meant to be this boundary, a, a guardrail to protect, became this object of temptation. And we feel it. We feel it in every part of our lives. We feel it in, in for instance, lying. When does, a, when does a lie become a real lie? We know we're not supposed to lie, but when does a lie be, you know, a white lie? What, I mean, that's not really a lie, is it? Or is it? See, we keep pushing up against the boundary. Whenever there's a limit, we keep pushing up against it. That's something natural. The sin within us keeps going for it. And so the law became this crushing burden that they couldn't keep fully and this major temptation that they kept crossing. And so the thing that was intended to give them full life couldn't actually provide what they were saying it could provide. And Paul's writing to the Galatians saying, the law can't give you what you're longing for. Your perfect obedience, it is an illusion. And if your full life is dependent on your perfect obedience, then you will never have it. But the thing is, full life is a gift from God through Jesus Christ, who took upon himself our sin. He took upon himself our inability to even resist the temptation to follow the guardrails and crucified it all within his body on a cross so that we could be forgiven. But even more than forgiven, be set free. And that's what Paul is talking about in this particular passage. He began it with, hey, you're, you're intended to be free. And that freedom is, is to be used to pursue full life. And so how, how, how is this freedom used to pursue full life? See, freedom, he says, is not life with no restraints or safeguards. In fact, freedom, he says, is this. You're free to humbly serve and love one another. Because when you voluntarily put your limitations on yourself, when you voluntarily decide that you're going to serve and love others, then you're fulfilling the entirety of what the law was about in the first place. See, that's what freedom looks like, he's saying. 
And yet that idea of freedom is so foreign to us. And it was foreign in Paul's day because freedom for us means no restraints, doesn't it? No limits, no one telling us what we should or should not be doing. And as a matter of fact, more and more in our day, we actually, the message is being told loud and clear that full life is lived finally when you are unfettered, unencumbered by anybody else's expectations or rules for you. You do it your way. And so Paul is getting at this, this tendency to use freedom to pursue, to pursue what we think is full life through no restraints. In fact, he calls the unfiltered, unrestrained version of ourselves the flesh. And he said it multiple times. And so the flesh is really us, just us left to our own desires, our own devices. And he's arguing that the flesh in ourselves, through that, we're going to be able to attain the full life. We're not going to be able to grab onto that. Because the flesh actually desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. See, to get to the full life isn't through unrestrained living, it's through the, the gift that the spirit gives us. But he goes on to, to help us see how clearly this is true. He says the acts of the flesh, of the sinful nature, are obvious, and he lists them. Though it's not an exhaustive list. We know that because right at the end, he just says, and the like. He's had this really long list and then just tacks on and the like, you know, everything else that kind of fits in this category. And, and sometimes when we see lists like this in the Bible, I think one of our natural tendencies is to start to kind of distance ourselves from the list and look around in our lives and try to figure out, you know, who, who's living like this list and, and, you know, figure out who, who is condemned so that we can feel pretty innocent, Right? But Paul warns, hey, don't become conceited as if you're above this. Yeah, and we also can come to lists like this and come to the conclusion that people who live this way or do these things, they're, they're, real, they're the really bad people. They're the really terrible, horrible, rotten, awful humans. But see, Paul's not trying to identify some sort of special class of people that are capable of doing these unimaginable things. He's arguing and identifying simply, these are normal, everyday humans. These are people left to themselves without the power of God working in their lives. And I, and I wonder, are, are we capable of these things? Are you capable of these things. See, I think if, if he's saying this is the flesh, this is just every normal, everyday people without the power of God in their lives, without the Spirit of God, then maybe. And I remember when this, this idea came and hit me squarely in the face, it was through a book called Blue Like Jazz by a guy named Donald Miller. And in this book, at one point, he's recounting this conversation he was having with a friend at a coffee shop. And you know, they had been seeing these horrible things in the news, particularly at that time there was genocides in the Congo, and they were discussing this. And at one point, Donald asks his friend, do you think, do you think you're capable of this? And the friend, is, of course, is like, no way. And Donald, as he continued to think about it, said, you know, I think I am. That under the right conditions, I think I could do equally awful things. And this really made me stop and think and reflect. Am I capable of that? Are you capable of these things? Are you capable 
of invading an innocent country? Are you capable of genocide? Are you capable of this kind of atrocity? And I think if I'm honest, I am. I'm capable of every single thing on this list that Paul has given. I am capable of breaking every single commandment that has ever been given. And I think maybe when we start to see that reality, that propensity that lies within us, then perhaps we can start to view other people in our lives not as those who are a unique category of awful human, but maybe as another person who is lost, who is separated from God and his spirit alive within their life. And, And actually, even more, I think these lists are often the result of them striving and us striving for full life. Not striving to make a mess of life, but the pursuit of full life through unrestrained freedom. When You see it when Paul lays out the acts of the flesh. They're acts, things that people are doing. And we don't do things to make our lives miserable. We try to do things to make our lives better, don't we? So you have these four categories that this whole list could be broken down into. And he identifies sexual sins. And he uses a few different words for it, but basically it's all encompassing anything that's not in alignment with God's beautiful intent, design, holiness, the gift of sex and sexuality. He also adds to this what could be called religious or spiritual sins. Specifically, idolatry and witchcraft. Idolatry, in Paul's day, this probably looked a lot like what's known as syncretism. See, because in Paul's day, all of these people who were coming out of this non-Jewish pagan background, they had been participating in the worship of all these gods, right? The Roman and Greek pantheon of gods. And so they had been participating in the worship of all these gods before they came to know Jesus. Well, many of them, because of those habits and their past, continued, after coming to believe in Jesus, they continued to participate in the rituals and the ceremonies and the parades and the feasts for all of these other gods and the worship of God through Jesus Christ. And it was kind of like this buffet style of religion, which I think is really pretty relevant to our lives today. That, you know, most of us in our day are not going to, you know, temples of these gods and bowing before statues that there are these idols. But we are approaching life as a buffet, especially spiritually, where it's, you know what, I like this idea from Jesus. I like this idea from Buddha. I like this idea from humanism. I like this idea from science. I like this idea from Oprah. I like this idea from over here, right? And we like to weave it all together because in our weaving, we believe somewhere deep inside of us that this is what's going to make life have meaning and security and satisfaction. In other words, this is what's going to give us full life. Like a buffet. I like the appetizers. I like the meat and the desserts. I don't even know why they bother with the whole salad bar section. What a waste. Right? We choose what we like and we disregard, ignore what we don't like. And Paul's saying, this isn't going to lead to full life. This is just going to continue to leave you empty. And he goes on and and speaks about witchcraft. And and not just spells, though that's a part of it. Did you know that witchcraft is on the rise in America? Like big time. It's on the rise. 
And in, the, in addition to spells, you also have astrology and crystals and tarot cards that kind of all fit into this realm because these practitioners of these magical arts are claiming to tap into an unseen, unconventional power that's promising to give full life. And there is such a hunger among our culture for full life that who cares where it comes from? Who cares what the source is? If there's a power that can give it, we're open to it. And Paul is warning once again that that's not going to lead to full life. He goes on to talk about relational sins as a part of the acts of the flesh. These sins where we're really often posturing ourselves against one another rather than loving our neighbors. We're posturing ourselves in such a way where we get to have full life or we perceive that we'll have full life. And so we have hatred and discord where they're the bad guys. We're the good guys. We feel good about ourselves. Jealousy and envy where we want what other people have. The fits of rage. Man, there's not many things less attractive than adults throwing temper tantrums, is there? But there are fits of rage all over the place right now that are being celebrated. These emotional breakdowns among adults. We've got selfish ambition, divisions and factions all striving against one another to grab full life as if life is a zero-sum game. That you, if I can't have full life if you've got it, and so I better get it. And last category, he talks about what I'm, what I'm calling lifestyle sins, where he speaks specifically about drunkenness and orgies, that these he he names because there is an appeal to these and so many other accepted lifestyles that promise full life in the moment. They promise, the problem is they promise only what the Spirit can give. It's, It's God. God is not against drunkenness or orgies or any of these other lifestyle things because God doesn't like people to have a good time. Though people think God is just a killjoy. No, God speaks against these things because he knows they won't sustain us. It's like the Big Mac that leaves us hungry 40 minutes later. It felt good for a moment, but it does not sustain. And so God is not just about the rules. He's about, I want to give you full life. I want to give you full life rather than leaving you just to your own devices, the acts of the flesh. But here's the thing, acts of the flesh, I think, are appealing because they're acts. See, he's setting the acts of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. Well, the acts are something we can do. The fruit is something that we have to receive. See, one puts me in control. One puts me out of control. See, the acts of the flesh are appealing because I get to be at the center of the equation. But he's saying that's not going to be full life. Full life is going to look like this. this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it's fruit, singular, not fruits. You may be familiar with this passage, and it's so common that we talk about it as fruits, plural. And I think part of why we like to talk about it as fruits, plural, is because it lets us kind of break them down and decide and see which ones am I good at. And we get to kind of say, oh, I'm really, look at me, I'm so kind. And I get to feel good about myself for a minute. And I get to say, yes, I have full life. See, I'm so kind. Well, we disregard the parts that we're not so good at, right? Because some of this fruit is more natural to us than others, isn't it? You know people in your life who are patient. 
You know people in your life who are faithful and who are gentle? Some of them aren't even followers of Jesus and they're way more patient and joyful and loving than I am. And the difference though for those who are following Jesus, who are not just leaning on our own desires, the acts of the flesh, is that the fruit is not plural, it's singular, meaning it all grows. The expectation is that a follower of Jesus is going to experience increasingly the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit, a total transformation of all of our character, our whole experience of life. Some speak, I think, of the fruit as plural because it lets us focus on what we're good at. Others like to speak of it plural because we focus on what we're bad at, right? That, that, we, that really what ends up happening is we make the fruit of the Spirit into a new kind of law. We know, oh yeah, yeah, it's not about, oh, you know, full life doesn't come through obedience to the Jewish law, but it comes through obedience to this law. And we make the fruit of the Spirit the nine steps to full life. And so if you can be more patient, be more kind, be more gentle, be more self-controlled, then you will, you will grab hold of full life. But the problem with that is when we turn the fruit of the Spirit into the law is that it will just bring, it will make us only self-righteous if we're accomplishing it. As it, and then we're better than everybody else once again, or it will be a crushing burden that we will never be able to attain because I will never be patient enough because I have four children. can be incredibly loving because I have four children, but the patience seems to get stretched, right? These, this fullness of life, this fruit of the Spirit is a gift of God to be received, and it doesn't happen overnight. It's an ongoing lifetime journey, but just because we can't grow it on our own and grab hold of it on our own, it doesn't mean that we just kind of sit back and say, all right, Jesus, make me more patient, I'll just be impatient until you get around to it. No, Paul says to, to live by the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. In other words, to ask consciously, what of the fruit is growing in you? What does the Spirit want to be growing in you? And one application for you out of this message may simply to be memorized the fruit of the Spirit so that you can be aware of it in your life. So that you can see where the Spirit may be stretching you and challenging you and nurturing you to grow. What does he want to grow in you? I don't think all the fruit grows all the, at the same time, but it will all grow if you're a follower of Jesus. And so what is it that he wants to grow now? And then how will he grow it? How does it actually happen? I think it happens as we consider more fully Jesus and the implications of the good news for our lives. When we realize that Jesus is the one who actually lived the full life perfectly, that when you look at the fruit of the Spirit and you look at Jesus, you see the embodiment of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, of self-control. And when you consider how he exhibited those throughout, not just his life, but you consider how he exhibited those to the fullness on the cross as he died in our place for our failure to live these fruit out, for our willingness to seek full life through the acts of the flesh. When you consider his love for you on the cross... We will be bonded to him and we will be ripe for love to grow within us. When you consider the joy that he had on the cross, Hebrews 12 tells us it was the joy set before him that caused him to endure the cross and scorning the shame. You're the joy. 
When we consider the peace that Jesus exhibited on the cross, making peace with the Father, reconciling us to the Father, even though we've been in rebellion against him. When we see the ultimate kindness and goodness of Jesus on display on the cross, dying in our place, though we don't deserve it and we're often not grateful for it. We see his faithfulness to the Father in his obedience. We see his faithfulness to us to be willing to lay his life down, knowing that we can trust him. He won't abandon us because he went to the cross for us. When you consider his gentleness, that at any point he could have called down a legion of angels to wipe out his enemies and yet instead chose, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He chose self-control voluntarily, giving up his life, loving us, not to use his freedom for his own desire, but instead for you and for me. See, when we consider deeply the fruit of the Spirit in display on the cross as Jesus died, then our hearts move and we are bonded to him in a way that we become open and ripe to no longer pursuing full life based on our own achievement, our own attainment, and the law, not through our unrestrained freedom, but we become open to receive the full life that's a gift of him that grows as that fruit of the Spirit within us. What fruit does God want to grow in your life so that he can give you full life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this incredible hope that we don't have to achieve full life on our own. Thank you that we don't have to be obedient enough. Thank you that we don't... We don't have to continue to go after our unrestrained desires that leave us unsatisfied but that there is a deep and abiding satisfaction that is the gift, your gift for us as your fruit grows within our hearts, our souls, our character, our lives. Lord, help us see more clearly that fruit of the Spirit as Jesus endured the cross for us. May it move our hearts, bond us to him with an affection that gives us an openness to trust you, that you will, you will give us the full life that we so deeply long for, and the full life that you promise. In Jesus' name, amen.